right, everybody. Welcome back to We Dig Tennessee. I'm your host, Matt Mingus. Uh, glad to have you back. Glad to have you listening. Uh, we are into week four of our Safe Digging Month Toolbox Talk contest. Uh, this is the final week, so guys, make sure you get these things turned in to Judah and myself. Get your name in the drawing for some more good prizes. Um, <clears throat> all right, we'll, we'll jump right into the Toolbox Talk right now. Uh, this week, we're talking about 811 utility marks. Uh in the uniform color code you guys we all know what this is this is when we show up on the job site after we've called in our one call ticket and we go out and see paint on the ground the uniform color code is what tells us what utilities are on the job site and what we're working around uh, 81 markings are your universal system used throughout the united states uh, different colors are used to mark different types of utilities uh, utility markings show the approximate location of an underground line Line locating is not an exact science. Uh, there are several things that can throw off locating equipment, uh, such as damage to tracer wire or, or the traceability aspects to a pipeline, uh, soil types, water content, grounding, uh, presence of other utilities can throw off locating equipment. So we should always use care when working around uh, utility marks because it's not an exact science. It, it's just helping us get as close to it as we can. But for just this week, we're going to go over what the different colors are. Uh, like for, so we'll run through the list real quick. Uh, red is for electric power lines, cables. Yellow, gas, oil, and steam. Orange, communication, fiber, duct banks. Blue is water. Green is sewer drains. Uh, white is proposed excavations. One we should be using. Anytime we call in a ticket, we should be going out there and using white paint to mark where we're going to be digging. Pink, temporary survey markings. And purple is for reclaimed water, irrigation, and slurry lines. So, and that's the basic APWA uniform color code, which is used pretty much nationally. But always check your state laws for if they have their own color code or mark stand marking standards. If you're working outside the Middle Tennessee area, the this color code is the one you'll see in our area. So, just good information to have. But I want to touch on. A couple more things and we've got uh, Craig Ingram here with us to talk about these on a couple different style markings you may see joining us now from Tennessee 811 is mr. Craig Ingram how are you doing bud doing good Matt glad to have you on man I appreciate you joining us um, yeah, we, ju- we just finished talking about our toolbox talk and and marking color codes and all that and we were I was explaining offset markings and and the corridor marks and stuff but I kind of kind of wanted to hear you guys' opinion on offset markings. Cause I know for for ditch diggers, for like us, it can be a little bit of a tricky tricky thing, you know, trying to judge tolerant zones and all that when they're doing offset markings. Yeah, yeah, offset markings. Uh, I mean, the idea behind them is great, but you're right; it, it does make it a little more difficult for the person who's excavating and trying to, you know, understand what those marks mean, understand where that puts. Uh, the line that's being located, that kind of thing. So, you know, just to reiterate, offset markings are kind of intended to be, we marked up in the grass of this yard or or out on the dirt uh, or the field or wherever you're excavating at, but we're also putting a mark, you know, at the road or or closer to where you would approach this property as a way of indicating that there is a utility marking further into the property. So it, it's a great uh, tool, especially if you have, you know, an active job site where the the actual markings, so to speak, may be 
in the path of traffic or in the path of excavation work where they could be torn up easily uh, because then you have kind of the offset markings to fall back on. It can also be a great tool if you have, you know, grass that's higher than you would like when you're marking utilities or, or some other just kind of tricky situation uh, where you want that fallback or that uh, additional indication. Now, one of the things that we started seeing a few years ago, especially in Nashville, is that um, as well, especially in like private neighborhoods and these really, you know, uh, nice, well-maintained communities, uh, they don't like utility markings. They view it as industrial graffiti. You know, they don't like the way that it looks on their sidewalks and their driveways and that kind of thing, which is, you know, understandable to a certain extent. But uh, we have to remember what those markings are there for and, and the role and safety that they play. So what we see nowadays, especially in, in neighborhoods like that, is the utility may put minimal markings on top of the line. So you may just see dots or some other just really scaled down approach to, to painting and indicating that utility. And then you've got an offset marking um, that tells you, hey, there's a gas line seven foot into this property or, or whatever the case is so that you can provide more information and another layer of, you know, hey, there's a line up there, but you don't, you know, put a ton of paint on the ground and, and that kind of thing. So variety of situations where offset markings can be used, they're great in theory, uh, but it can create additional challenges. Well, now, is there any sort of, I guess, I guess there's not a legal standard in the law or anything of that nature, but any standard within the locating community that they if they're going to do offset standards and put the paint like in the streets of in the yard, will they also use flags or will they just kind of leave you hanging and say, go seven feet that way? <laughs> well, hopefully your offset markings at the street are going to be combined with something minimal on top of the line. Uh, but that's not always the case. And because there is no legal standard and we don't really have adopted marking standards in this state, it's going to be kind of hit or miss depending on what locating contractor we're talking about or what utility company put down those paint markings. You know, the best thing to do is if you get out there and you don't understand what is meant by the offset markings or you're not sure that there's accurate, uh, excuse me, that they're accurate or, or something like that, then, you know, don't ever hesitate to reach out to the locator or to the utility for additional information. But I mean, the general concept with those is they're going to put essentially a line that they're starting their measurement from at the road or, or at like the kind of publicly accessible area. And they're going to point back into the property and say seven foot that way or 12 foot that way or whatever the, the distance measurement is to the line. So then you'd want to have some form of, of walking that off, measuring that off to get a you know relatively accurate um pinpoint of, of kind of where that marking is that they're trying to indicate. So, uh, you know, like you said, and I've stressed this a couple of times, it definitely creates another level of effort and work for an excavator if there's not also some level of marking on top of that line. Um, so always feel free to reach out to the contractor who's, who's locating the lines or to the utility company to get more info. Okay. Yeah. That, that's good to know. Man, I know you, you mentioned we don't have a marking standard in the state. So, and, and I know that as well, just from listening in on enforcement board meetings and so on and so forth. But is there any movement at the moment to try and adopt a marking standard of any kind? Yeah. So the enforcement board is getting ready to start uh, some rulemaking procedures. It's a, 
it's basically this formal process, uh, excuse me, formal process that they can undertake to add more specificity. They can't, they can't really address anything that's not already addressed in the law, and they can't, you know, set any standards that they don't already have the power to set in the law. But they can use rulemaking to kind of be more specific about certain things or provide additional guidance. So one of the things that the DIG law allows for is for them to establish marking standards. And then those marking standards, it would be expected that all utilities across the state, when they're marking their utility lines, they do it in accordance with those marking standards. So in the Common Ground Alliance, CGA, and their best practices, uh, they have some best practices for uh, delineation of underground utilities. And in, in addition to the color code, it gives some suggestions for, you know, uh, what a dashed paint line marking should look like as far as the length of each of those dashes. Um, it gives specifics about um, abbreviations that should be used for the different types of underground utilities and kind of the supplementary information that may, may be put down to indicate that a line is, you know, a certain diameter or it's a high pressure gas line or whatever the case is. So. They are working on adopting those marking standards, uh, as well as some other rulemaking things that just pertain to how they do enforcement of the law. The hiccup there is obviously that, you know, with everything going on with COVID-19, uh, they haven't been able to meet. And there's a lot of formal, you know, you have to take a vote, you have to adopt this, you have to publicly notice this, that kind of thing. So it's going to be a drawn out process. And at this point, it's easily going to be mid to late next year before we see anything uh, rolled out. Okay. But so you would say that they're probably looking towards adopting the CGA version of a marking standard. Yeah. And kind of some of the early discussions or, or drafts, if you will, of what that would look like. Um, it almost, we can do it a couple of ways. You can either essentially lay out the same guidelines that are in the best practices guide so that it's just a mirror of the best pra practices, or you can just say you have to follow the guidelines that are set out in CGA best practices version 17.0 or, you know, however they want to specify. So there's a couple of ways that we can do it. Uh, and some of that's going to come down to does the enforcement board completely agree with the marking guide that's in the best practices guidebook, or do they want to modify a few things you know, uh, there'll be some discussion that goes around that. Okay. Yeah. And for anybody listening to you guys, if you want to get a hold of that CGA best practice book, you know, let me and Judah know, let Craig know. I know 811 has tons of copies. They'd be happy to hand out. Uh, or you can go online and find the CGA best practice book right there online. Uh, and we'll add a link to the CGA best practice book in the show notes if you want to click on it and look it up. Uh, CGA, not just a marking standard, but they've got a lot of other great information in there for excavators. Yeah, and Appendix B and kind of towards the end of the best practices guide lays out all of their guidance for marking utilities. So can be a, a really useful resource. Some of this is already used in the field. I mean, that is where it's pulled from is what folks around the country are already doing. So a lot of what you see in there is already going to be present out in the field. So it may be useful to compare it against what you're seeing right now, even though we don't have those formal marking standards adopted. Yeah, I was going to say, I, at least in my opinion, from being on and off of job sites and, and doing this for a while, I, I would say that 
most locators out there, although we don't have an official standard, kind of have a standard way of they, that they do things. And everything tends to look the same and and pretty much be cohesive in the way that they mark. So hopefully adopting that marking standard won't cause a big change in the way things are done or, or you know, upset the, upset the balance because it seems to work pretty smoothly right now. Yeah, and just to hit on a situation that, that we dealt with pretty recently, um, one of the, the types of markings that, that you've already hit on is the corridor marking that looks like the diamond shape usually used with communications lines. Um, most people associate that with a duct bank, so they assume that there is going to be you know, concrete or metal encasing you know, conduit because that's the general concept of a duct bank. So a really important thing is, regardless of what that surface marking looks like, never assume that you know exactly what that means unless you've talked to the locate contractor, talked to the utility operator, or they've provided some other specific level of information. Because we had a situation in Northeast Tennessee where a local utility was excavating. They saw a marking that they assumed was a duct bank and therefore thought that they could be a little more heavy handed for lack of better words. And then they found out that there was no concrete or metal encased duct bank. And they just dug straight through either some, you know, just basic plastic conduit, or maybe it was even a direct berry cable. So uh, regardless of those markings that you see, you know, try to use that just as informational, you know, suggestive guidance and make sure that you're using soft digging to expose the line and all the things that you, you know, should be doing when you're working in close proximity to those markings. And that, that's great information to have because I always, I didn't assume it was a duck bank, but I always assumed it would be something that had more than one conduit in it. I never, I never thought that seeing that corridor marking on the ground would indicate potentially just a single direct buried cable. So that, that that's great to know. Yeah. And it's just like anything else. There's a, there's a usual use of it, but it's not always used that way because we don't have those marking standards. So You'd be perfectly safe in assuming that it's not a single direct buried cable most of the time, but you don't want to make that assumption and then have the one time that that comes back to bite you. Absolutely. All right, man. Well, I um, appreciate your insight on all that. The, we also want to, you know, talk to you a little bit about, you know, what what's 811's operational status with COVID-19 right now. I mean, I know we've talked about it before and you guys were working towards getting everything working from home and all that. And uh, so were y'all successful? Everybody working from home from right now? Yeah, everybody's working from home uh, with the exception of one or two people who are kind of holding down the fort at the office. Uh, When our damage prevention summit ended back on March 13th, uh, that was a Friday. We went into the weekend and that was the same time where it was really becoming public knowledge that uh, the coronavirus was spreading quickly, that it was infecting people at a faster rate than, you know, initially had been talked about. You were starting to see more and more people getting seriously ill or, or even, uh, you know, dying from having COVID-19. So that was a really interesting time because a lot came to light very quickly. And we probably would have postponed our damage prevention summit, tried to, you know, reschedule it for next year or something if we had known at that time what was going to be coming around the bend, but you know, it is what it is. So we got through that weekend and then the next week we started the process immediately of, of getting people working from home. So about half of our call center agents were already working from home 
at that time because we've got uh, call center agents, one that works in Texas, one that works in Michigan, one that works in Oregon, one that works in Georgia. We've got a few other folks that are um, tier two, which is they just kind of pick up shifts on an as needed basis. And some of those work during the day for Alabama 811 or Mississippi 811. And then they come on with us as needed to help with those calls because we take both of those states in the after hours. So we already had, you know, some flexibility of, of people working from home. And essentially what we did was just do what it took to get the rest of our team working from home. And, you know, my team specifically that does safety uh, education and attending conferences and setting up events and all that kind of thing. Uh, we already work remotely, although we don't usually spend nearly as much time at home as we have lately. So it's been interesting to kind of adapt the outreach side of the business to to being trapped at home like this. Yeah, it's definitely been been different. But so for Tennessee one one outside of you know working mobily and, and pretty much working from home, any other crazy steps for COVID nineteen or did that pretty much handle it for you guys? I mean, that pretty much covers it. We Our service qualifies as an essential service, and we provided notice to the governor in the early days of this that we had the ability to work remotely and continue to provide the service. So we did what we felt like was necessary to, to let you know people know that, hey, we're still in operation. We're still going to be you know taking these locate requests, notifying utilities so that they can get their lines marked. Uh, we had a, a record ticket day a couple of Monday Mondays ago where we took more than 6,000 tickets in a day, which is the first time wow. we've ever had more than 6,000 tickets in a day. So, I mean, as far as the, the call center and taking tickets, it's been business as usual from the standpoint of calls coming in. And it's just been, you know, adapting to meet those needs and, and figure out things along the way. That's awesome. All right. Well, I know in... Part of this Toolbox Talk contest is we're doing this to celebrate um, Safe Digging Month. So I know A11 typically is real involved in helping people celebrate Safe Digging Month and getting out there and spreading the word about Safe Digging Month and what it is. And I know this had to have been a challenge with COVID-19 going on. So I guess what have you guys been able to do to kind of spread the word? Well, as you can imagine, what we can do has been pretty limited, but we've tried to continue outreach through, you know, email marketing and social media. Uh, we've started a video series called Two Minute Tutorials, where we cover best practices, 811 policies, parts of the legislation, um, and put those out in little bite-sized two-minute chunks so that people can watch those online on YouTube or whatever platform's easiest for them and just get quick you know, tidbits of information while they're going about their day. So we're, we're trying to adapt to the scenario because we can't be out there providing training like we normally would. Uh, typically, we participate in Earth Day events in Nashville and Murfreesboro and, um, you know, help promote Arbor Day alongside some other organizations, in addition to kind of the basic outreach that goes around Safe Digging Month during April. And all of those things have been kind of, you know, quashed this year that we haven't been able to participate in. But we do have a, yeah. a statewide radio advertising campaign that's going on right now. We've got a digital advertising campaign that will be starting up in the near future. And as we continue to see when conferences start happening again, when events start happening again, when we get closer to returning to business as usual, uh, I'm hoping that we can make up some of the safety events and other things that 
uh, we weren't able to carry out now, but we might be able to, to do later. You know, one of the biggest educational type things that we do every year actually occurs in the fall months, our, our pipe program, which is a liaison program that we do with uh, gas pipeline operators around the state uh, just to, you know, promote gas safety and, and knowledge of pipelines and all those good things. And um, at this point, we don't even know if we're really going to be able to carry out that program. And that's still several months off. So it gives you an idea of, of how everything has been impacted. So it's been really interesting to try to adapt and, and try to find the best way to reach people when we can't physically be in front of them. Um, I know we appreciate you guys working with us on the Toolbox Talk contest. I know I've, I've used you as a resource several times putting these Toolbox Talks together. So we, we appreciate you guys being there for us. We know that. Yeah, Nuka has been a great partner uh, specifically in helping get these out, not to mention your um, Toolbox Talks at, for team construction and going out to your folks. So uh, anything that we can do like that to help get the word out and, and make sure everybody's on the same page, we're going to try to do it. The uh, I mean, well, so as we talked about a little bit with COVID nineteen going on there, on there, is there anything in particular that as utility contractors we can do to help protect facilities during COVID nineteen? I mean, I know it's you know a little bit of a weird situation being out there digging and trying to do your social distancing and all that, but is there anything as far as safe digging that that you guys could you know, help us key on? Yeah, I think the the biggest point to make up front is with so many people working from home with, you know, the importance of all of our healthcare facilities right now, it's it's almost never been more important to protect these underground lines because, you know, we already have people right now across our country and, and even in our state who they're out of work and, and there's all these other you know, economic implications of what we're dealing with, with COVID-19. So, you know, hitting a fiber line that puts somebody else out of work or, you know, cutting power to a healthcare facility and they're not able to treat, you know, not only the routine, you know, health concerns, but also the, the incoming COVID-19 patients, you know, that's a huge deal right now. So it's almost never been more important that we call 811 and, and dig safely to protect those lines. But, on a more day-to-day kind of approach to it, I think the biggest thing is you have to understand that this is going to affect your ability to, you know, meet with or, or discuss your project with locators and with utility operators because, you know, you may be used to getting service drawings or additional maps from a utility and that could be impacted. You may be used to having in-person meetings with locators at the job site or with utility representatives before you start a project. And all of those things are going to have to change to, to phone calls, to web meetings, to, you know, whatever other platform works to get everybody on the same page. So I'd say the biggest thing is we can't let communication and coordination effort fall to the side just because we can't, you know, meet you at the job site, shake your hand and ask for your help on something. We've got to adapt to the scenario. And I mean, we've already been dealing with, with this, uh, definitely in the month of April, the the latter part of March as well as people began to see the impact. So I think people are already learning what that has to look like day to day, but it's just important that we keep that going because even with the Safer at Home order expiring at the end of this month, um, according to the latest guidance from Governor Lee, you know, there's still going to be a gradual kind of phase in period. We're not going to, you know, next 
the first part of May, we're not going to just go back to business as usual where everybody's in front of each other and all of the offices open up and everything else. So we just have to make sure that we're doing what we can to get people on the phone and ask questions and get more information and, and all of those other things that may be necessary. Yeah, absolutely, man. That, that, that's great advice. All right, man. Um, so anything new with 811? Any announcements for you guys for, for the utility world here? I don't know that we have any announcements, but one kind of current event that I want to point out just because it, it's almost funny because it's so ironic and ridiculous. Uh, Colorado 811 on Tuesday of this week, their phone lines were down because an excavator dug through a buried utility. And I've been trying to read up to get the specifics of it. And at this point, I'm not sure if they didn't have a locate request or if it was not using reasonable care when working close to a line. But whatever the case was, you actually had an 811 operation that was taken down by an excavator out in the field during safe digging month, during the COVID-19 epidemic. So it's just almost ironic that, that we have things like that happening right now. But, you know, let's not let team construction <laughs> be one of the, the contractors that's put in that situation. And all you have to do is prevent it is make sure you got your locates, make sure you're doing your due diligence out on the field. Talk about your ultimate 811 call before you dig message right yeah. there. Can't call if you cut the, cut the lines. Lord of mercy. Okay, man. Well, we appreciate you coming on, bud. Uh, spending some time with us and, and bringing us up to date and, and giving a little more clarity to to marking in the field that, that we're seeing out there. That was That's great information and help i learned something today so i hope everybody else did yeah and don't forget about our two minute tutorials you can look those up on they're on our facebook page they're on our youtube channel if you search tennessee 811 we're going to keep putting those out and, and hopefully that'll be a good way for people to get information moving forward yeah that sounds great man and thank you again for coming uh, a couple of closing notes here guys uh, you know we would love to talk with somebody do maybe do a member interview right here on the air that would be fantastic so if you're interested in coming on uh let us know uh we would also be happy to do a q a session with you guys uh, so if you got some questions about nuka what nuka can do for you um things we've got coming up i know it's kind of hard to talk about stuff we've got coming up and we're not allowed to do anything right now but uh if you want to talk with us got some questions submit some questions either to me or judah or our facebook page and we will compile those questions and do a q a session um, also, we are have a, a special going on from Care Supply right now. If you go to Care Supply, they've got a carry-out special is what they're calling it going on right now. Uh, go in there and spend 100 bucks, You get a couple of free Milwaukee ball caps. Uh, spend 200 bucks, You get a free pack-out crate and the caps. And if you go in and you spend 400 bucks, you get the pack-out crate, rolling toolbox, and the ball caps. So if you need some safety supplies, some tools, some... You know, they offer all kinds of stuff over there at Care Supply. So go uh, go in there and take advantage of that special. Stock up on what you need and get some cool stuff to take home as well. Uh, with that, guys, we're going to wrap it up for the day. Uh, so if you got any questions, feel free to reach out. Uh, get in touch with us. We're happy to help. Uh, make sure you get your Toolbox Talks turned back in for this final week of the Toolbox Talk contest. And as always, stay safe and keep digging Tennessee.